Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unwrapped. I'm your host, Emily Vogel, and I'm here with your other host, Andy Ortiz. Andy, how are you? I'm, I'm doing well, Emily. How are you? I haven't talked to you in a while. We haven't talked since what? I mean, like, we've, like, had conversations, but we haven't had, like, a talk talk. We haven't had a, a talk talk. I know. I'm constantly just sliding into your DMs and your text messages, but we haven't had our first podcast of 2022. I hope you guys are ready. It's going to be a good one. We got a good one to kick off the year. We do. We do. Because um, even though we're only one month into the new year, so much has happened already. And I think one of the highlights um, on my end has been Sundance. And of course, this year, um, it did switch to virtual. Last year was virtual as well. Um, and I was super excited to go. But luckily, I got to stay stay in my my warm apartment. Wait, so um, how many how many times have you been to like actual stuff, like pre-COVID times? How many times pre-COVID, have you been to I have never been to Sundance. I Ooh. have been to Cannes, Zurich, Shanghai, all the other film festivals, Cabo, all the other film festivals, but the staple one, Sundance. So I was <laughs> so really looking forward to going this year and um, that, that didn't happen. But I also, listeners, I have such a... An, if you didn't know this, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But um, in case you didn't know, Sundance uh, is is in Utah. Um, I, Andy, Andy did not know this. Um, Andy did not know this. L- listen, okay. I think it's hilarious though that you've been to all these like exotic film, like in Cannes, right? And you've been to all these like cool places, and the one that you haven't been to is in Utah. But that just proves my point. Listen, I didn't know Sundance was in Utah because who thinks an event like that? is in Utah ever like my I spent my entire life thinking this was in New York because that makes that's where Tribeca is so like it makes sense and yeah and I thank you Emily for tea we were we were having a conversation and I said something about it being in New York I just moved to New York she's like yeah great you don't have to travel and I'm like what are you talking about it's in Park City um yeah, yeah. so that's <laughs> I, I thought I was like so you didn't slick. know I thought yeah. I was so smart. Like I, I really thought I was thinking ahead for Emily. I was like, "Oh, this is great for you." And then, turns out it is in Utah. So shout out to you, Utah. Shout out to you. <laughs> I, saw, um, like, I feel so dumb. Like I'm never gonna get over this. I messaged a friend about it, and I was like, "Guess what I learned today? Sundance is in Utah. Who puts an event there?" And he was like, "Oh, Robert Redford does." And I was like, "Great. So you know things that I. All right, cool." And I felt even dumber. So. Moral of the story, kids. Little, it does seem a little random, but the, this podcast is all about educating people. So if you didn't know that Sundance is in Park City, you now have new knowledge going into And you're not alone. Listen, and you're not if alone. You didn't know, if you didn't know Sundance was in Utah, do not feel bad about yourself because I didn't either. And I and I work in this industry, but I've never I've also never been to Sundance like prior. So I like it just has never been enough at the forefront of my radar to know these things i, I don't know exactly. I, maybe i'm a bad entertainment journalist <laughs> um but anyways we had such a fun virtual studio we had so many epic women uh do interviews coming for uh virtual interviews from lena dunham and dakota johnson to emma thompson Aubrey plaza kiki palmer leslie Mann, it, the list goes on and on uh regina hall such a great lineup so many great films and What's really interesting and is a point that I want to bring up that um, our, our founder and editor-in-chief, Sharon Waxman, did a blog post on her wax word, which you can read the full the full article on therap.com. But one of the big themes of across several films this year was women's rights and uh, a woman's right to choose, um, which is very timely because last this past weekend, I believe uh, Roe v. Wade hit its 
uh, 49-year anniversary. Um, and so some of the films, for example, um, and I'm super excited for everyone to, to get a chance to watch these films. Um, the one is called Call Jane um, with Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver. And Banks plays uh, a suburban housewife in Chicago, Andy, you're your hood, um, in, in the late uh, 1960s. And her pregnancy leads to life-threatening conditions. Um, so she she seeks out to get an abortion. And obviously, that's illegal at the time. So she finds a group called the Janes who are able, who are, ugh, can't talk, who are able to provide her with this safer alternative. So there's a, a whole movie in that. And then there's a documentary also that was in the festival called The Janes, which is all about this real-life group who helped um, administer abortions during this time. So um, in a lot, two of the real life genes actually were a part of our studio and it was so interesting. And, and during this time, um, they gave an estimated 11,000 uh, abortions um, in until they were dismantled. And and super interesting. You can check out these full interviews um, on the rap.com as well. Uh, we also had uh, this another film happening. Um, two amazing women zoomed in from France for this. Um, and that's the story of a university student in France in the late 1960s as well, who gets pregnant and wants um, an abortion. And Sharon points this out in her blog as well. But in Europe, although abortion isn't under such immediate threat as it is in the U.S., um, Poland, a lot of, I believe last year, uh, adopted a near total ban on abortions. And the current head of the European Union is Polish. So this is like not just happening in America. It's all over the world as well. The world's on fire. Is the what world is on fire. COVID, like all the, the world is falling apart. Um, and then there was another film, Aftershock, um, all about the substandard care that's provided to women of color during their pregnancies. So we see this as a common theme throughout Sundance, which I think is super interesting because I don't, I mean, I've booked Sundance interviews a lot. I've no, again, I've not been there, but I haven't seen such like a, a it's like we're trying to tell the industry, we're trying to tell the world something. And I think this is where Hollywood really fits in is, you know, responsible for telling our world stories and, you know, providing it as a way to share a message, um, which I think is just incredible. Um, yeah, man, use your platform. If you got the if you got the means to do it, use your platform. I I love that in any in any given situation, assuming you're using your platform to send the right message or not. not you get what I'm saying, you know, you get it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now, also, I want to talk about too is festivals like Sundance. Um, you know, there's so many um, awesome films that you know go on to win Academy Awards and all of these major accolades. And um, so we, you know, there, but we don't really focus on the short films because there's also so many short films that are also premiered at Sundance. And there's one that I want to talk about in particular way, uh, produced by Lena Waithe. And the film is about this woman, Daniela, played by Shakira Barrera from Glow, uh, whose grandmother passes away. And, and the grandma's death unleashes a generational curse, and Daniela is forced to experience the five stages of grief through a visit from her female ancestors. Uh, Shakira and the director, Gabriela Ortega, joined us in our Sundance studio. And here is what the director, Gabriela, had to say about her inspiration behind the film. What was the story about Gabriela? Just start, explain to us sort of the, the where, where the story emerged from for you. The story is about grief when you boil it down. But to me, it's not about just the grief that Daniela, the character, is experiencing in that particular moment, which is, losing her grandmother, but it's also, so the sort of parts of herself that she's lost along the way and the ones that 
she has to sort of pull together to, to move forward. But at the same time, in that same breath, when I was inspired and in writing this story, I was mostly inspired by the women in my family and my lineage. Um, I like to say I come from a matriarchy. My grandmother was a single mom, had four daughters. My mother had two daughters. And so mm. I grew up thinking that women could do anything. And I'm, I'm very much tied to, to their strength. And it just, I wouldn't say it's more, it's less mysticism to me. I'm more just like that deep connection to my roots. And to, mm. to me, that's just like what keeps me grounded and gives me purpose. So any chance I can honor them in any way possible, I, I sort of try to in my work. And also those elements kind of, came together in the pandemic, just thinking about lineage and grief and family and all those things that we started questioning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like love that. that. Yeah. I love just being, you know, we were just talking about this idea of, of using your platform to share stories and being able to pull from your own experiences and from your, your own inspirations um, and the amazing women who surround you is I think really, really cool. Is your, Emily, is your family like, I don't know. I don't know how to like verbalize. I want to say like woman heavy. Like, are there are there more women in the family? Are you like matriarchal, or are there more guys in the family? Like, which way does your family skew? I I would say we're I would say we're pretty split. Um, but I feel like, and I think we talked about this in another episode. But very much of you know the the same thing from uh, my big fat Greek wedding. You know where the men yes. may be the head but the woman's the neck and she can turn the head any way she wants yes um yeah i think you know the women kind of kind of run run shit <laughs> yeah they do I, yes that is a fact that is the, that's all i got on that it is a fact it is a fact um so I kind of want to also move on because I just thought that was so empowering. And I want you guys to hear from another amazingly empowering and uh, inspirational woman who's going to be joining us in a moment. Um, but I was mentioning shorts don't get enough recognition at Sundance. And a lot of people think Sundance is just films, but also series and shows can premiere at Sundance. Um, this is another thing I learned. This is see, so many facts. Um, so today with us, we have Kate Ballsworth, um, the star and executive producer of Bring On the Dancing Horses. Uh, in this 10-episode series, Kate plays an assassin who is out to complete her list of targets and exact her own brand of poetic justice. Dun, dun, dun. Um, but as we see in the, in the series, and I hope everyone gets a chance to watch it, is you know her victims go through the, the, these stages of grief that we, you know, Wea, which I hope again I'm saying that right, um, it touches on as well. Um, Andy, are we ready to bring out Kate? Dude, you said Kate Bosworth and Assassin. So yeah, I'm 100% ready to get into this let's one. Let's do it. I'm so excited to chat with her because um, I, I love the show. So let's bring her out. Welcome, Kate. Hello, Kate. Thank you. Thank you both. So happy to be here. Kate, you um, just had a birthday, right? And I feel like you were somewhere warm. So happy belated birthday. Thank you. And it looked like you were somewhere tropical and you were on a horse and your caption was, this is 40. And you looked amazing, first of well, all. Well, 39. Okay. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and I actually have no, I, I'm maybe one of those rare people who I love getting older. Like I really do. I mean, I've been, I've been working in this industry since I was 14. So this is my 25th year of actually working as a professional actress that's like a, that's a quarter of a century that's a long time no big deal casual yeah. um and it just gets it gets better and better and while i understand that you know in many ways 
it, it can feel like a young person's game. Um, the the depth and the complexity and the and the confidence and the um, the real the real ease, the real peace with with myself has come with with age. And all all my friends are older, and they they all have described this. And when you're younger, you hear that, and you're like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. But um, but I I've just enjoyed it so much. And um, and turning 39 was it was such a transformative year for me. This show was uh was such a um a, a truly like a life-changing experience and i'm sure we'll we'll get into that but um yeah just just really feeling um very like feeling good with me i i really do i um i'm i'm happy to be in in my skin and i think that's that, that really is something that can often just come with age Oh, that's great. Um, so now I know you just mentioned you've been in the industry for a quarter of a century uh, and throughout your career and really your whole life, you've had a, a connection with horses. Um, and of course, in the photograph I just mentioned uh, that you posted on your 39th birthday, uh, you were on a horse. Uh, in the 90s, you starred in The Horse Whisperer with Scarlett Johansson. And you also grew up riding horses, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and now you're at Sundance with this project, Bring On the Dancing Horses. But from what I've seen, there are no horses in this series. So can you please explain this title to us? Because Andy and I are like, where are the horses? I was really stressed about it. I need to know what's up with the horses. Yes. Okay. So um, Michael Polish, who is the creator, uh, directed all 10 episodes, um, wrote all 10 episodes. So I was sort of speaking on behalf of, of him in terms of the title, but the title Bring on the Dancing Horses is essentially a Russian proverb, which means this is the end. So um, that fits. Yeah, yeah, now it all makes sense. Yes. So it's kind of, I mean, knowing you, you guys have both seen the first episode, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you know that it's it's about an assassin um, and, and the, the, the landscape is sort of a Western noir. And each episode opens with this character who's kind of like the angel of death um knocking on a door and on the other door is a victim and she says i'm here to help with your transition and ultimately the rest of the episode is the last conversation between her um it becomes sort of a confessional like it's it's sort of each episode shifts from um something that's you know very philosophical to uh more of a you know sort of a confessional to it can get very very sort of funny uh, so it really runs the gamut and, and everything is sort of intertwined and in a very, very cool way. Um, but bring on the dancing horses means this is this is the end. That is wild. I would have never like I'd never would have gotten there on my own. I was because I, I told Emily the same thing. I was like, there are no horses. Did I miss them? Well, and actually, that's actually a good point. But in episode, well, uh, you can probably feel that there's we shot it in Montana. Um, we shot all 10 episodes in Montana. And so that, that lends an immediate, um, natural Western landscape. Um, and, uh, and so you, you get the sort of Western feel, even though always, Michael's always going to have a sort of sense of something, a little surreal, a little magical realism. You're not quite sure what's happening. There's a lot of mystery involved. Obviously his work is incredibly beautiful visually. Um, and it's normally very character driven as is the show. Um, but in episode nine, uh, there's an, there's an episode that's entirely on horseback. So towards the end of the series, you, you get that, you know, kind of gratifying, um, tie-in with, with, with the, the horse tie-in. Wait, but <laughs> an entire episode on horseback. Yeah. I, well, and it was so funny because I remember when Michael was, <clears throat> so he was writing the episode. Well, I should, 
I'll bring it back to the start and how, and how <laughs> this this uh, this series all all came together. But at the time, we were living under the same roof, and I I had said to him when he when he came up with the idea of the show, I had said to him, um, "Can you write an episode where I can just be on horseback the entire time?" And there's something that's uh, you know that's one of the bonuses about living under the same roof with the creator where you where you can sort of dictate like because I very rarely I've ridden since I was six I was a I was a show jumper um, and and I honestly truly never really thought of acting when I was younger but I I did want to go to the Olympics it was just horses and riding were on my mind all the time um, and so and and I and yet other than the horse whisperer which I I truly got that role because of my horseback riding skills um, but other than that it's very rare that I get to be on the back of a horse for any kind of, you know, show or movie, any opportunity. And so I was, I thought I could probably dictate this. I could probably say, I want that put into the series. And he said, yeah, sure. So he ended up writing an entire episode sort of as this very cool, um, like classic Western uh, tracking of, of a victim. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's very poetic. And um, and ultimately becomes a sort of gunfight showdown by the end of the episode. Um, and, and I'm sure. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm excited to talk to you both about since you since you've seen the episode. But what Michael and I discussed quite a bit. He originally had envisioned. He had this idea kind of floating around. He has he he has a lot of ideas floating around. But he had originally thought about this series with a male as the lead. And when the and we both love the western genre we 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 just adore it and 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 i think that really kind of flows through our veins both of us we really have an affinity with it um but when when the pandemic hit hit and the world shut down I, he he wrote this piece for for movie maker magazine and it was a true story i, I was sitting in a, a chinese restaurant and um and it was so scary it was so terrifying for everybody it felt like the world was ending and i and i just I did, no one knew what was going to happen. It was just so unknown, so scary, and I just started crying. I started just absolutely sobbing in this in this uh, in this restaurant. It was just me, and Michael met me there, and I said, "The world is ending. I don't know what's going to happen. When are we going to, you know, what's what's you know, are we going to be okay? What's, what's happening with the world?" And and it was in that moment that Michael thought, you know, <clears throat> often in the most compromised, difficult, challenging situations is when we've seen like the best art um be created uh it's 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 where so many independent filmmakers so many independent ideas have been um born from economic compromise from the compromise from um you know upbringing from from the times whatever it might be it's really where something beautiful can be born and so he said yeah you know that show would you want to play the lead? He said, it would be so much cooler as a, as a woman as the lead. And I said, yeah, I mean, we've, we, we talked about so many ideas together and we produce. So I said, yeah, of course. And so in originally in the, um, his original idea, the, the main character was just known as the man. And so then he went back and changed it to the woman. And so my character, as you both know, is known throughout much of the series as just the woman, which, you know, <clears throat> Michael, it's Michael's wink, I think, in many ways to sort of say, like, how much, uh, you know, you sort of, you know, you're the man, you're the man. And it's like, well, she's the woman. You know? the woman. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that comes across to like the very second someone asks you, do you want to play 
just this badass assassin that's an immediate yes right and then you get to put it in like this western genre and then it, then it becomes like a hell yes like yes i absolutely want to ride around killing people eventually on horseback like a hundred percent um confession time i've never ridden a horse emily have you um i have i've dabbled in in horse riding a few times but not you know more of just like oh on vacation sort of thing okay well you're all fancy i've ridden sheep so what <laughs> i just want to ride a sheep uh, I've actually ridden two sheep at the same time, and it was a task. Let what? me inform you. Yeah, that's wild. I've never done that. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend because the width of two sheep is wider than you would think, and so it pulls muscles in ways that they. It was oh. not a good time. I fell off. I hurt my ass. It was. Oh no! Was that one and done experience? They said, "Andy, do you want to ride sheep?" And I said, "Yes." And then they said, "Do you yeah. want to do it again?" And I said, "Absolutely not." <laughs> But um, I can't even think of the mechanics, but I need yeah, to see no, photo it's, evidence. It's a visual. You literally counted sheep. I yes. Well, and you know what? There's video proof. Emily, I'll make sure to send you that video I, someday. We gotta get that up on the internet. <laughs> but I digress. Obviously, sheep riding, not part of the series. But what I do love about this series, what I love about the woman in particular, is Throughout just the whole first episode, I kept thinking to myself, I was like, I am terrified by this woman, but I'm also so comforted by her. It's this like weird dichotomy of like when you speak and, and the voice that like the timbre of your voice throughout the whole thing. It's very like it's very soothing mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. But it's a woman who is here to kill people. So tell me tell me about playing in, in that realm, because it was such it was just such a fun tension to sit with for me as a viewer. Oh, thank you is she's a she's a difficult character you know i mean this this was a a, a challenging piece um and you know i i had the benefit of reading each episode as they were printed from michael writing them you know so i i was really involved in in the process from like letter you know the first letter that he was typing um i you know i felt like she takes a lot of, um, she cares very much about the transition of each person. Um, and so when she is faced with, she understands, I think there's a lot of compassion, you know, she really understands the, as you see in the first episode, there are different stages that everyone uh, experiences. Um, and, and, um, so she, and she's done this for such a long time, you know, since, since she was little, she's been, uh, she's, she's observed how this process happens and you sort of get a little, little piece of it in terms of her relationship with her father, which is obviously very complicated. Um, but I think that she brings a lot of pride in the compassion and she almost a, um, kind of a, like a spiritual nature to it. I sometimes, I, I, I thought often of like this sort of like a priest or a nun, and then also the sort of like philosophical element and um, almost like a, um, uh, like a, like there's a, there's a sort of therapeutic quality to it. Um, but she knows she's confident. So she knows that everyone will ultimately get to the same place, which is, you know, surrender. Um, and, uh, and however they get there, I mean, she just kind of watches it. It's almost like, you know, it can be someone watching 
you know, an episode of Dancing with the Stars. You know, she could say, what would you like to do? Oh, I'd like to watch an episode of American Idol. And okay, great. You know, I mean, it's like, it's really runs the gamut of like how wild it gets. And some people get very in depth and philosophical about, you know, I, I, sort of relieving their guilt or their shame of whatever they've done to get themselves in that place. Um, but I, 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 also there, I think whenever you death's knocking on your door, there's there's this feeling of terror. You know what I mean? And like I think that Michael and I wanted to uh, convey that and preserve that with her. I mean, her even just her costume is very specific and kind of beautiful and strange. Um, and, and and Michael's very specific when he writes. So for example, that costume was detailed in his writing. Um, and he works with um, a costume designer, Big Owens, who's amazing. I think he worked with her on North Fork, Twin Falls, Idaho. So she really understands his vision, um, which I think is very important when it comes to character. Um, and and so while she in, innately has this, that feeling of terror to her because she's ultimately... Um, sort of meta metaphor metaphorically synonymous with with death there's also something very caring about her um and and very soothing as you said so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic and yet she also was like I, I love this character because while we were interested in flipping the gender stereotype of the typical sort of male cowboy that sort of classical and yes awesome sort of Clint Eastwood type um, we just thought, gosh, it's, it, I, we, we, we struggled in thinking about a, a real female cowboy that, um, you know, ha that played a part like this. And so it was, it was an amazing opportunity for me, but in some ways, you know, she, she while she was very feminine in some ways, she's also very masculine. Um, you know, and I think obviously that was how she was raised by her father and her background, but, um, yeah, she's a very complex she's a very complex character and I, what i love so much is it while it's it's you know it's dramatic and it's dark and it's thought provoking and it has a lot of depth it's also there's also like a lot of humor in it um michael michael's daughter my stepdaughter jasper um plays missy who you who you meet in the first episode just load so, a dead woman into the car that got me yeah. that <laughs> so it's also this kind of like dark humor that comes into play which i think is really it's really important i remember when mike was writing this series he said you really need a sidekick and he said i'm thinking about you know having jasper play the sidekick and i just thought oh it's so great because it kind of you know uh is perfect for that sort of younger generation that while it's an insane situation that that they're both in it's kind of that same you're still you still get that same tone of like what are you doing you know what I mean? like that kind of cavalier like young like whatever you know kind of quality I, I was definitely laughing a lot and I think like it really is so genius that the assassin is a female and you know mm -hmm. it, it's pretty badass and it's almost as if you know she's almost like in the soothing way, like it's almost like a lullaby, you know, it's like, you know, that they're going to end up asleep or dead, you know, they're going to end up dead, but like technically like, if it's a lullaby asleep, you know what the final thing is going to be, but it's like a soothing, her voice and the detail is crazy. And I see Andy and I saw her earlier of the outfit because I know Andy, like right when she finished watching it, she was like, and I'll let her ask it. Cause she, she couldn't figure out the mechanics of this one thing and I'll let her take it away. Oh yeah, please. 
It's the hat. Kate, I need you to tell me everything about this. How much did this hat weigh? How did you position yeah. your head with the big old chandelier and not tip with the hat? Like, I just, oh, it's, I it's a look. Like, it is a look that I vibe with. But, and I'm glad that you, and I'm also glad that you mentioned um, the spiritual aspect of it because it came through. At one point, I did think, I was like, oh, she kind of reminds me of a nun. Yes. Um, so even the so, outfit. I mean, the outfit has a little bit of that as well. Right, um, and with and with the with the wrapping of the of the hair and the head, but yes. I specifically the hat. Walk me through how much did this hat weigh? Just to start. You know, it was the great thing about the hat. Well, the whole outfit, but definitely the hat is that I'm sure you've heard actors say, like, you know, when I put on the boots or when I put on the belt or when I put on the jacket, I became that person and. The hat was certainly, as you can imagine, the accessory that the moment I, the wrapping, the sort of white cotton wrapping, and then the hat over the wrapping was always the final uh, part of the process of, of getting into character. And it was always that part that I felt like, okay, now I'm the woman, you know, and um, the hat, it, it didn't weigh so much, but what was really strange about it was my, my perspective, uh, well, two things. So visually, my perspective was kind of off. Like, you know how, like, even with the, you, you wear a mask now all the time. You know how, like, weirdly you're like, am I seeing that right? Just because something's covering your face. Well, because this hat was so, the, param the parameter was so large that I, sometimes if I turned, I'd, like, knock into something. Or, like, <laughs> there would be there would be moments where, like, I'd be, like, walking out a door frame. And, like, I, I thought I was clearing it. And, like, the hat would, like, knock my head a certain way. It's like a personal, like, social distancing. Yes, <laughs> it was like a force field um so so i just had to get used to that a little bit but yes the the brim the, the width of the brim was 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 very odd the other thing i almost had like a panic attack the first day uh the first scene that we shot and i and it was i was so confused as to what was happening to me because i'd lived with this character for so long was and, and i realized what had happened was um so the wrap there's like this white the wrap on the wrap. This, hey. Hey, this, white, this this white cotton wrap is is sort of like this little um like it's almost like this little like wrap helmet that's that's put on my my head and it's underneath the hat and it contains everything. So everything about her is very neat and very pure. And for example, you don't even see the color of her hair because it's all contained underneath this this wrapping. Is it pink? Is that what's going to happen? You're going to take it off and it's just bright pink. <laughs> oh man, you'll have to see. <laughs> It is somewhat of a surprise, though. Um, yes, it is. But uh, but this this I, I couldn't understand what was happening to me in, in this scene. I felt so off, and I realized that I couldn't hear myself because this this if you if you put your hands over your ears, it's like you. But it was it was this weird sensation that I had, and then I and then I was was trying to say the dialogue, and I was like, what is going on? I thought I was like getting sick or something, so I couldn't really find the uh like the cadence of the scene everything felt really strange and off and then I realized oh my god I can't really hear myself so then they had to create this like little um it, there were earplugs they had to put earplugs like on the inside of the uh of the wrap so that there was like a space for sound to get through. wild that would be terrifying it, that was strange and I, I I remember I had to take Michael outside because I, I was sort of having a breakdown and I was like, I don't know what's wrong. Something's wrong. I can't, it's something. And he, and he just looked at me and he's very calm, Michael. And he's like, can you hear? And I was like, you're like, what? Yeah, And he's like, no, he's like, I, I, that might be too tight. And then we played with it. And then, uh, and then we figured it out, but it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. I mean, when you're creating something, she's, it's definitely original, you know, she's, she's an original character. And, um, 
and and then the whole series is 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 very original from from Michael's brain. So it was there were some learning curves for sure, but it was it was such an incredible experience. I really it want you so to beautifully done with that hat. It's big enough that you could just like a, yeah, like yes, a Kiki Blinder exactly. kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a place where things can be hidden in there. Oh, hey, you got there's so much mystery around the woman. I know. <laughs> well, isn't there always <laughs> true? I guess I I have like a, I have a strange question now. Indulge me if you will, but like I I've been thinking about it since you said it. You mentioned Jasper playing like your side, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, do you think like if it really like if push came to shove, do you think you as Kate could be an assassin's like sidekick? I could be the assassin. I don't think I could be the sidekick. Why? I'll be your sidekick, Kate. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. I am ready for a change in careers. You can be an assassin. I'll be your assistant. And anybody oh, who's listening man. to this, for legal purposes, it's a joke. <laughs> yes, it's a joke. Uh, I think um, I've always been, you know, joking aside, I think I've always been um, comfortable with, I, I, there's a, if, if you were to talk to anyone who knows me really well, probably one of the first things they'd say is like, she's very direct. She's very honest. She's very transparent. Like what you see is what you get. Everything's up front. There's nothing. I'm certainly not passive aggressive. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I have, a, I have a, like a lot of love, but it's, 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 um, everything's very upfront in terms, there's no guesswork. And I think that people who do well with those kind of like I, I find my, my, the people that I love working with and, and, and love collaborating with very, very easily that way. That makes sense. Well, I know we're right gonna after have to... I said the assassin. I was like, well, you know, I mean, I feel like I would just be like, okay, guess we got to get this done. <laughs> it's, it's time. <laughs> Let's yeah. go. Although I'm um, really, really, really not like to kill people. Yeah, that would be slight, the slight issue in the in the job, but the slightest like downside of the job. Now, Kate, while many people know you as an actress um, and now as an assassin, I guess, uh, you're also a producer and you also have a production company that was behind this uh, this project. So can you talk a little bit about your involvement as a producer and raising the funds for this series? One of the one of the elements of the show that I, I think it's so important to articulate um, is that and I, I, I don't know who else has actually done this. I, I do know it's very, very rare is that you know Mike and I raised the the funding for this show and um, what that means is all 10 episodes of the show totally independently so normally as we, as we all know you either have a dis distributor or you know you have a co-production you have you have some kind of um, formula that has been worked out within the industry within you know within within the the world that we live in the world that we watch the world that we create and because the world shut down when it did we, we were all sitting at home and we had to figure out michael and i had to figure out how to create something independently um to raise the financing for all 10 episodes you know without any kind of partner or or sort of backstop was was pretty wild and pretty innovative um and i think it's important to say because um i know it's important for michael and i in, in terms of inspiring people to uh to, to, to really do what you want to do. You know, there was a day when making an independent movie was totally unheard of. There was a day when we only worked in the studio system to make movies. And then we started making independent features and now it's very normal. And we go to places like Sundance and see independent, great independent movies all the time. We live in a world where 
we are watching more and more TV and there's more and more content that has to be made. And I really believe, as does Michael, that there is a new frontier that will be in the hands of the artists and that will be in the hands of the creators. And so I, I the reason why I say this is because, you know, what we did was very new and it was very difficult and we're still in uncharted territory. Um, but I do believe it's the new frontier. And I and I it's important for, for me to say this because I just want anyone listening who is a creator who has an idea or wants to do something, do it. Just do it. It's there's nothing that's holding you back. It doesn't matter what's been done before because at some point you have to be the person who's putting like the first step on the moon. And um, why not why not have it be you? Was that, I'm, I'm curious, was that like a decision early on? Like when you were conceptualizing the series, did you kind of have a conversation where it was like, you know what, we really want to do this like our way. So we're going to make sure, it, like we're going to make sure it gets funded. Because I feel like I, a lot of people don't necessarily know how the funding conversation maybe happens. So right. just from, just from that aspect, like I am, I am genuinely curious how like early on was that decided? Did you guys say we don't want many hands in the pot here? Like how did that, how did that all come together? I think Michael um, conceptualized the show in a way that he knew he's very, I don't know anyone else who's as good at, as he is, as understanding how to make something um, economically sound, economically conservative, and also not compromise the quality of the picture. So his entire career was in independent filmmaking. And he often says independent films do not have to equal cheap looking. They do not, you know, you can you can make something for a shocking amount of, you know, a shoestring amount of money and it can still look absolutely beautiful. You just have to really know, you have to know your camera, you have to know your lens, you have to know your vision. You have to be very, very um, deliberate with, with what you're putting on the screen and how you're putting it on the screen. So it does take a lot of... Um, it, it takes a lot of knowledge, like like anything, like doing anything good. You have to know what you're doing and respect that process. Um, but so I think that, and he, he writes for the visual, you know, I mean, he, everything he writes is, is very deliberate. So I think he thought, okay, I know that these 10 episodes can be made for X amount of money. Um, you know, he's not putting in like some wild car chase or like, you know, something like crazy that he knows is going to be like, it's going to increase the budget, um, astronomically. So he was, he was writing for the budget. I, yes, I do believe he, he wanted to, he pushes the boundaries, Mike. He's always on the new frontier with what he does. He's made a career out of doing so. Um, and I think that he, he, he knew that there was this, you know, uh, this, this growing hunger for content. He knew that like, uh, the, the demand was going to be very difficult to meet in terms of the infrastructure that exists. And so he, he, he sort of saw forward and thought, well, at some point, TV is going to have to become somewhat of independently made like movies, you know, like he, he watched it happen with, with feature films. So I do think he wrote for that type of process. But with that said, to raise financing for something that really hasn't been done before, you know, something that is truly innovative, you have, you're asking someone to really take a leap. It's someone who is probably used to investing in things that haven't been done before that are that are um, a bit risky, but someone who enjoys being on the forefront of a new frontier. Um, and, and so it really does take like a lot of different pieces to come together because it's not easy. It's not easy to break ground on anything. I well, think and and correct like, me if, oh, sorry, I'm, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I was going to say, I think it's, you know, kind of ties back into that that thing that we were talking about earlier, where times of crisis, you know, you're almost great content is made and it's almost like you're forced to think outside of the yeah. box, not only in terms of like the content that you're making, but getting creative in the ways that you're um, having to raise money and going out. Because I'm sure, it, like you said, it wasn't an easy thing to do. Uh, sorry, Andy, go ahead. I was just going to say, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, Kate, but I believe it was a man, it was your funder was a man from Montana where you shot all of these, which yeah. I think is so cool because it's got like, it's got like a hometown touch to it. You know, it's yeah. a guy who, who knows where you are and knows what you're doing and knows how visually stunning it could be and is my God, it is beautiful. Yeah, it's a real love letter to Montana. Um, but it, it also, you know, there was, a, we, we were we were so thrilled. I mean, Montana means so much to both Michael and myself, his, his family, his, his father's side of his family is from Montana. They're Montana born and bred. So and don't you have a, didn't you open a film school there as well? Am yeah, I, we did called yeah, MIA, Montana Institute for the Arts. So we, 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 it's Montana is so deeply rooted in, in our hearts. Um, but we were able to bring, you know, work for people who were not, I mean, this was real deep in the pandemic. This is when there was nothing being made. Everything was shut down. And so we were able to bring some kind of opportunity for work and inspiration um, with people who had not been creating for some time, who were who were equally as afraid as Michael and myself, who were equally afraid of the unknown, and and who you know if you if you love to create, it's like you know when you're not able to, um, it, it, it can it can really be a dark place. So I mean, we watched people, all the crew members who who worked on our show. I mean, it was just like coming back to life again. And so it was. There's something very very special um, about making this this show. No, I need to get to Montana between between this and um, Yellowstone. I'm like, I need to go to Montana. There, I just moved to New York and they just had a rodeo here. So I like went oh, to yeah. that. I had to come all the way out here. I got, I ordered some cowboy boots and, a, and, a, and I got a hat. So oh, I'm ready to come to Montana. Yeah, you are. I can, I can help. Uh, I can, I can help you with some ideas. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I got, I have family out there who I haven't seen in forever. So I'll be there soon in your neck of the woods. Okay. Good. Let me know. I've never been to Montana. I you can't you can't see it, but that's a state map above me, and you uh -huh. it's a scratch off. So you scratch off every state you've been oh, that's to. So cool. I love that. So listen, Emily, if you're going to Montana, let's just make it an unwrapped trip. Let's you and I yes. go yes. and have some fun. Listen, come visit us on season two. Yes. Well, as long as we get to wear the hats, an assassin's assistant. <laughs> yes. There you go. Great. It's on record. Emily, get us into the game so she can't take it back. <laughs> oh, thank you guys. Um, okay, so I know we're we're running out of time, but uh, Andy and I always love to play a quick little game. Um, this okay. is one today of a would you rather. Um, oh, I always love would you rather. It's um th this one is based off of. We're going to start out simple, and it's basically most of the questions are based on this project and mm -hmm. past projects you've done. Um, okay, so and Andy's going to play with you, so you're not left out. But we'll always start with you, Kate, and then Andy will answer. Okay. Okay. Uh, first, easy beach or mountains beach yeah beach okay. yeah beach uh, I wasn't confident at first but I need to reiterate I know I love them both is the truth but I mean if it's like listen you're gonna you're gonna be relaxing somewhere I, I mean I'm gonna have to choose the beach. yeah because the mountains like, there, all there is to do is hike and that's a lot of physical activity for me yes it's, it's a it's <laughs> a, that's a commitment you know that's like I'm uh, yeah that's, that's oh, you know what listen I did go to Gatlinburg Smoky Mountains for spring break in college. And that was a beautiful spring break until one of our hiking party got lost and fell down a mountain. But like, it was a fun time. So, oh my gosh. Well, oh, if you guys go to Montana, you'll have to go to Glacier Park. Speaking of, of mountains, it's it's so beautiful. 
It's one. We will do a live podcast from there. Yes, Glacier <laughs> Park, <laughs> unwrapped from the mountain. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, surfing or horseback riding? Horseback riding. <laughs> I've wanted to learn how to surf forever, so I'm going to say surfing only because it's one of those like bucket list items, even though I'm terrified of sharks, but I've also never ridden a horse, so this is surprisingly hard for me. So. I mean, sheep was not an option. <laughs> Sorry, Andy. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a great, I'm a great sheep riding, and for the record, it is called mutton busting. There is an actual oh, term for it. <laughs> No, it's it's a real thing that children do because like it at rodeos they have like really young kids go and they literally they put them they strap them on the back of a sheep not strap them they just hold on for dear life and they just go it's like bull riding but for children. I've seen and, that at a rodeo. Yeah, and so yeah. the only reason I got two sheep is because they put me on one and realized oh she's not the size of a nine year old. <laughs> um, so so they gave me a second one. Anyway, yes, surfing, yeah. rodeos in the like in their little like sort of intermission break. Um, they they have like all the kids come out and do that that mutton riding type of thing. But I've yeah. never seen an adult do it. It's listen, <laughs> listen. It doesn't end well because oh, it, their their bones yeah. are still, like a little bit bendy, you know. So when they yes. hit the ground, there's what? give. Oh gosh. Well, and this is where I'm going to fail. This question also came out of the fact that I started surfing because of Blue Crush. And now yeah. to this day, my dad and my sister, that's like our father-daughter activity. And we go oh, out and we just, so even awesome. if there's no waves, we just sit out there. And that is one of our favorite movies. And it really like brought us together. So that oh, was where my fan girl so surfing and post writing came. Um, know, okay. Hang on. While we're, hang on. If we're going to take this moment to call out projects, listen, Kate, yes. remember the Titans and 21 are like all timers in, in my movie lexicon. So I just oh, wanted to. So, they were so fun to be a part of. Um, Blue Crush is like, I always say it's like my, my, my vital organ. If, if I were to take any project, you know, any film that I've ever been a part of, that's like the heart. Um, because it's the film that really gave me my career, but it was also, you know, so I, I was um, a little aside, you can cut this out, but I, I um, when I was 18, I graduated high school and I, I was from a small town, like public school, normal, small, small town on the East coast. And um, I was super academic in school and ended up um, get, getting accepted to Princeton. And I had done a few bit parts. Like, remember the Titans was one. Um, the Horse Whisperer was another. I did this little TV show called Young Americans, which is like now becoming like <laughs> kind of funny, like a cult, like revival. Um, it was right after Dawson's Creek. If I don't know if you guys remember, but anyway, um, just a few bit. We of course we remember Dawson's Creek. Of course, Creek. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, so I, I graduated, I, I get into school and I ended up deferring and thought, you know what, I can't, I know I can't be a part of a, of, of, of a school like Princeton and also act. I, I had to pick one or the other. So I thought I'm going to defer a year. I'm going to go to LA, see if I can, you know, if, if I don't work at all in the year, then I'll go to school and then sort of see where I'm at. And uh, it, it was a little, it was a little disheartening because so many of the, the things that I was you know, obviously I wasn't getting any, any offers. I was like an unknown, you know, girl at the time, but so many of the, the films that I was even reading, the characters I was reading were these kind of like vapid, dumb blondes. And, uh, and I just, it was, you know, it, it was just very difficult to find anything like gratifying. And in fact, it was kind of like, it was quite disheartening to sort of see the, the, the like version of yourself that was being like, played out in the world or your, the perception of yourself that was being played out in the world. And then I read Blue Crush and I remember I'd never touched a surfboard, 
but I remember feeling like now this girl, I know this girl, her like determination, her grit, um, her, her like love of, I, I love girls. I, I really do. I have so much love for my girlfriends and for my stepdaughter and, and, and the amazing women in my life. And there was that beautiful camaraderie between, between the women in that movie that I think has been so inspirational even still. Um, and I was like, no, that's a, a multi-layered deep dimensional girl that I can get behind. And so, you know, that, that movie, and it was so hard, hard earned. Um, that process was crazy because I read multiple times for the, for the, for the character. It was an Imagine Entertainment, uh, Universal, um, the picture. So you had some real heavy hitters making these decisions and it was like a $30 million movie, I think. And so to cast an unknown at the lead at the time was pretty weird and unheard of. They could kind of get behind that, but they couldn't get behind, understandably, the fact that I'd never surfed before because this is like a big wave surfer. She's like out of pipeline in the script, you know. And I'm like, and I'm like, but I've ridden horses my whole life. They're like, we don't care. Like, who cares? What's the you know, I'm like, I was a show jumper, and they were like, so. Um, but uh, but but so so they they said they couldn't cast me in this role because the the that a prerequisite skill for this character was to be able to surf. So. Uh, I said, well, you know, what, what are you going to be doing? And they said, well, we're going to be auditioning for real surf girls to try and get them to act for about the next month. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I truly, it's a true story. I went into the yellow pages because that was all there was at the time. And I, and I found a surf instructor out of Malibu and I called him up and I said, I need to learn to surf in a month. And he said, all right, you're going to have to come every day, you know, like six, seven hours a day. It's going to be pretty serious. And I said, okay, great. And I did. I drove from my little like studio apartment in Studio City and on the PCH down to Malibu, Point Doom every day. And uh, by the end of that month, I said to the, um, you know, to, to Universal and Imagine, I said, I'd really love the opportunity for you all to watch me surf. And they were like, what? You know, they were kind of. I didn't know they were, they were you said horses. Yes, you so you do surf, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I we went out with like a neutral surf instructor, and like I thought I was gonna have this like incredible sort of like heroic sort of like you know real Anne Marie moment at, by the end of the movie, or like this rocky moment, and I just like ate shit over and over and over and over and over and over again. It was so it was just crazy until finally the surf instructor was like, we should go in, we should go in. And I thought, okay. And I was so defeated. And I just thought, man, I really blew that. And I, I said, thank you everyone. And I left. And the story goes that they, they, they asked everyone watching the powers that be were watching, asked the surf instructor, you know, like, do you think she can do this? I mean, what do you think? And he said, I guarantee you, you won't find anyone more determined. And so it really was like the determination and the grit and the commitment to, to being there, the commitment to, um, you know, doing the thing that actually ended up, you know, getting me the role. And, and I often sort of give, you know, sort of articulate that story to, especially to, to young people, whatever they're going to do. It's like, you've got to, you got to love what you do, you know, because there's going to be so many elements against you and so many people who want to do, do things that you want to do. So you really have got to love it and you've got to be like a hundred percent committed to it. But that was, that movie, I'm so glad that it, it continues to have this lifeline. I mean, I, the amount of specifically, you know, young women now. So now uh, a lot of women my age have their own children. And so they're like, we watched Blue Crush the other day. And, you know, it's such an inspiring experience. And it's just like, I'm so grateful to have been a part of um, something that is a that is something that's still alive and it's still inspiring people today. It's, it's really an incredible thing to be a part of.
Because I feel yeah. like Enver, like that show was like a really like one of the first like OG like badass you know female characters. Yeah, she really I mean, kind of was a at the uh, the frontier of all of that. Totally. I mean, I look back on it and I never. It's so funny. I I just loved I I, I loved the her as a character the moment I read her, but I never thought like, wow, in the wrong hands that could be like a real. Like there, there could be a real misstep, you know, if it was in like the hands of anyone who wasn't. I mean, John Stockwell, who was the director, was thank thankfully so committed to the truth. He was a surfer. Uh, Brian Grazer, who was the producer, um, was also a surfer. So they were so committed to the authenticity and the realism of the surf world. But if you were if you were in the hands of like, oh, let's just get some hot girls on a surfboard. It's like, I mean, it really it was just in the right hands at the right time. So, well, that's what stood out to me when you were saying that. I was like, did they not immediately just think like, oh, we can get like a surf double for her? Like that was where my mind gravitated towards. So that's that's cool. I think because I mean, if if you've ever surfed and um, so Emily, if you you surf, you know, it's like it's it's the steepest learning curve in any sport other than ballet. So it's kind of like even if you're paddling out, it takes it takes like months to look like. I mean, she's supposed to have surfed all her life, like a champion surfer. So it takes months for to even become believable that you're like paddling like a pro, you know? So it's, it, it was for them, it was just quite like a, a risky thing to bet on someone to say, you have to trust me. I will put everything, everything in myself. And I mean, my training was crazy. The whole, the whole training sequences in the movie were really just John saying like, go follow her around in her training. And uh, it's, it was like, and that was the magic of that movie is that we really lived our characters. Sonoy and Michelle and I lived in a house on Sunset Beach together. So it really was like life imitating art, you know, and that, if someone was late, it was like, you're late, get in the car. You know, it was like, just became sisters. And um, so there was a real kind of magic that way that it was like, if I was running with rocks underneath the ocean to uh, increase lung capacity, I just have a camera following. I wasn't even aware of it. You know, it wasn't like, okay, now we're shooting this scene. It was, it was like, go, go follow Kate and her training because that will be, that could be good to have in the movie, you know? So it was, it was wow. really, it was, it was an incredible, um, very rarely, I think, do you have the opportunity to be a part of a project, a character, other characters where it just is this like beautiful um, kind of symmetry and uh, blend of of life and art. Um, and, and that was certainly one of them. Emily, I wish you could see like the wonder on your face as Kate was just, explaining all of that. The, the, the joy that was there just made me so happy. Like that was, that was, that was, that was an experience. Oh that was just so cool. I now know someone I'm like call my dad and my sister after this. Be like, that was actually her. Like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was wild. Special, so special cool. experience. Um, okay, back to the game. We have a few yes. just sorry, that was like a wild. No, that like made great, my day. That was, was great. I, Oh, good. My, my young fangirl is just freaking out right now. Um, <laughs> okay. So Jukebox or like Spotify, Apple Music? Because I know in the beginning scene of this new series, it, we start with a Jukebox. Jukebox. I mean, I am, this is where Michael and I, you know, we, uh, this is, this is like our sacred place is like a, a cowboy bar with the Jukebox, Dwight Yoakam on it, uh, Merle Haggard, um, Chris Christopherson. I mean, I, I could, I could, you know, Bruce, Will Bruce uh, Robinson, Kelly Willis. I mean, we're such huge country music fans. So for sure, I'd be in the, in the corner of a bar with, uh, with a jukebox. 
Love Kate's it. walking Andy. in with the quarters like I got this you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure yeah I'm gonna agree with her I'm gonna go jukebox I want to set the vibe for a whole place I want to be able to have that power go in and like here's here's the mood we're all in now yes jukebox yeah okay um kind of a follow-up to that would you rather have your Netflix viewing history made public or your Spotify listening history made public no <laughs> I'd say Spotify for me because I think like I I I'm such a music lover. I love to, f I'm, I'm, I really love to feel when it comes to music. So I don't feel like there's many embarrassing uh, choices there, but I do feel like when you're like hungover or you just don't want to think about <laughs> anything, there are some like pretty like wild things maybe on Netflix. It's like, what? <laughs> what is that? Like agreed, agreed. Um, Andy, what about you? Yeah, no, you can, you can see what I'm watching. You cannot see what I'm listening to. I do not need you. I don't need you seeing how many times I've got my Disney playlist on repeat. I I don't know. I don't need that kind of judgment. I don't need you judging me when I listen to Christmas music in July. You can see what I'm watching. I want my Netflix public. I'm on board with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So final one. I was putting this, li this list together and our amazing video producer, Francisco, came up with this one. So I'm going to throw it in. It's kind of a little off topic, but okay, let's do it. Would you rather wear wet socks all day or sleep in wet jeans? What do you guys think? That's a good one. Because neither, it, both of them are hor horrific. Yeah. Um, wet clothes in general, I think, is pretty awful. Um, what was it? W wet socks all day or sleeping wet jeans? Yeah. Probably sleeping wet jeans. No. No, there is nothing. There is physically no worse feeling for me than wet denim. Like, I, I can't <laughs> yeah, bad. I'm like having a vivid flashback. To my with wet socks is pretty bad. Squishing, like squishing around. I guess I. I'm still gonna go with wet socks. Do I have to have shoes on at all times? Like, is this a no shirt, no shoes, no service kind of situation? That does. I think it's on wet socks. I, I feel like you have to have shoes on, right? I agree. No, it has to be shoes. It has to be like that all like mushy gnarliness. My thought behind sleeping in wet jeans is that you're asleep most of the time. Are you going to be like, are you going to be able to fall asleep just like with that feeling of like the clinging denim and like, are you really going to be able to get there? I know they're both awful. I, I'm going to commit to wet socks. I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to go for it. My answer is socks and I'm going to be confident in it for like an hour then I'm going to switch. I love it. <laughs> I love it. She's going to text me later like actually I switched my answer. Okay so just a final question before we wrap up. So much of our audience are young women looking to break into the industry and you know I know you have your film school. I believe you know a few years ago you hosted a contest for female directors uh, and you've given some advice along the way but any final advice you have for young women or young people or women in general who are looking to break into the industry? I would say, I mean, because I think back to when I was young and and it, it doesn't matter the age. It's just like when you're at the beginning of something, it feels very overwhelming and and can feel quite intimidating. And so in that sense, your confidence can 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 be questioned or threatened. So I would say that, um, that trust trust in yourself do the work um watch the filmmakers that you love 
who are their DPs, watch their work. If you love the music, who, who is the composer? Educate yourself on that. Mind the knowledge of the people who have come before. Be curious. Um, and, and then trust yourself, take the leap because I think we often feel like, oh, I could never do that. Or so-and-so's doing that and they're so amazing and, and I could never compare. Well, that person at some point was exactly where you are. There's not one person who is doing anything in this industry who did not feel the way you're feeling in this moment. We all have. And so take the leap, trust yourself, educate yourself, be curious, love what you do. You, you can't you can't be a part of this industry for any other reason than than loving what you do and uh, and 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 be convicted in who you are. You know, your your voice is unique in all the world. There's no one else who has the voice that you have. So use it and uh, and, and and stay convicted in that. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. That's like a great note to kind of end on. I'm feeling so like inspired. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go learn to surf. I want to learn how to ride a horse. I want to learn how to assassinate people. Uh, There's a lot of things I want to do now. (laughs) Not really, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) reasons this is. It's dark humor here. We're we're wrapping up with dark humor. Listen, if you like dark humor, I mean, I mean, you have to like dark humor to know me anyway. I'm probably, <laughs> I'm getting the sense that we, that we would be okay with that. Yes. Well, Kate, congrats Definitely. on the project. Seriously. It was thank a you. pleasure to watch. Thank you for joining us. Emily, you want to wrap us up? I'm sorry. I got really excited. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I can't wait to uh, continue watching. Um, and thank you to all of our rap women audiences tuning in uh, until next time.